0: Going because we are kicking off a brand new series. We're going to spend the next seven weeks, I'm so pumped about this, and we're going to be looking at some of the outrageous things Jesus said because Jesus said some outrageous things. He just did. And especially when you look at it in the context of that time and that date then they were extra outrageous. For those of us who have grown up in Christian world, we kind of gloss over some of these things, and we don't get the, the punch in the gut that some of these people did when Jesus said them. He said a lot of sweet things. Bring the little children, let them come unto me. That's awesome, sweet Jesus, cuddly Jesus. That's, <clears throat> he talked about loving your neighbor. He talked about loving your enemies. That's sweet, but it kind of irritates us. Because we don't want to do, but I I get you, Jesus, I get you, I got to love my enemy. And he said some some nice things, but then he said some stuff that made people have a hard time with him. In fact, he said some stuff that was pretty controversial. And today we're going to look at the one place where the scriptures actually said, because he said that part of those who had been his followers said, adios, I'm out of here. This is, this, is, this is not cool that you just said this, and I'm not your follower anymore, and I'm gone. And so let's go ahead and let's look into this. Because if you have your bulletin, if you have your YouVersion app open, you can follow along. Because some of the things Jesus said seem completely outrageous because they, now we, the listeners, though who took them in, we're the, we also sometimes have this problem. <coughs> we're looking at things completely wrong. They were just viewing them wrong. They're just over here, and they're not being able to to catch what he's saying. They're just not getting it. They're looking from from a perspective, and they don't catch what he's saying. I'm not a big fan of texting, and my, my wife knows that I'm not a huge fan of texting. It's efficient to just kind of punt something out there. You got something, hey, you know, at some point today, I need a response to this. You know, and so you just kind of throw it out there. Because you don't know what the other person's doing, and so they may text you, like, immediately, or they may text you in two hours. Who knows? But there are certain people, no names said, but that if they text you, they expect an immediate response right now. And if they you don't get any response, you might get a hello. 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 And I know things are bad. If I look down at my phone and there's, like, seven hellos, I'm like, that's not good for Brandon. <laughs> and, uh... But it's just, but all this is, folks. This isn't awesome technology. It's 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 note passing. That's all it is. It's just passing notes. We all did that in school and got in detention for it. Now now it's like the coolest thing ever. And so, but it is. uh, That's all it is. But the problem with it, the reason I don't like it, it's great for. Can you pick up some milk while you're at the store? It's hard to misinterpret that one, you know. But on other things, whenever you hear them, sometimes, you know, are, uh, are you having a good day? It's fine. What does that mean? That can mean anything. It can mean your day's fine. I try to read it literally. Well, I, you know, how, I said it was fine. Well, fine means good, so I'm going to be cool with this. And, uh, but so many times, we can read things into it wrong. How many of us have ever had deep anxiety... About a text you received, and it ended up being nothing. I think all of it. Everybody else has got your hands down. You're lying. You people, you're in the right place for church today. We're going to have a special prayer moment over here for all the liars. And so we're going to have all the people raise their hands and impart some truth into you. So be ready to minister. (laughs) But it's true. That's why I hate about texting is we we just we read it the way it's happening in our head, not the way it's really meant. Sometimes we're right. Sometimes we're wrong. And we can totally miss things. And the so, most of the time, the more convinced we are that we've got the right set of circumstances to do it, that man, that sets us up for the biggest wrongs. That sets us up for the biggest misunderstandings. About a month ago, my family and I we went to uh, uh, be a part of my niece's uh, bat mitzvah. And so, no, they're not Jewish, but they're part of a uh, messianic synagogue, which if it's, uh, it's the Jews who embrace Jesus as Messiah, that Messiah's coming, that Jesus is Him, and it's very intentional in reaching out to the to the Jewish people. And it's really a, an incredible thing. And my my sister's family is a part of that, and so my niece was going through her bat mitzvah, and so we were going over there to be a part of that, and they live in the Metroplex. So we were there, been there, been to their synagogue multiple times, and I knew how to get there. It's real; It was a 45-minute drive, but it's super simple. You come out, you go down 380, you take a ride on the tollway, get off at Beltline, go up Beltline to Baruch Hashem, the synagogue, and you're there. Two turns, no problem. I had forgot my GPS. My dad was like, I'm going to just follow you there. My dad's real, like, I don't got to be early, hate being late. And so our family was still getting stuff together, and we were doing great on time. But I said, Dad, it's real easy, super easy. Just take this, one turn, exit here, another turn, just go and takes you right there. So, great, he leaves, follow the instructions, it's perfect. We get in the car, we head out. Remember, it's a 40-minute drive, so you're driving for a while. So we're driving down the road, and pretty soon, we're just, we're just cruising. And I never had any alarms go off because sometimes you get these little internal alarms like something's jacked up here where something's missing. Now, I've never designed a highway. I've never designed a road system or any of that. I can't tell you why something's called a highway, why something's called an interstate, why something's called a, 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 you know, a rural route. I don't know the, all the, the definitions, but I, I'm pretty sure I know this, that on a major tollway, you're not supposed to have a stoplight. I'm pretty sure of that. So we're just going down the, down the tollway, and the next thing I know, I'm at a stoplight. And I'm like, ugh, that somewhere something went completely wrong. So I pull out my phone, I put in the little Google Maps thing, and it tells me where I'm at and where I need to go, and it does it out loud. With my wife sitting right there. And I find it out that I missed my exit by 11 miles. 11 miles. I just kept saying that. I turn around and I'm just going, 11 miles. 11 miles. And I just get like, I can't believe I did this by 11 miles. And I get back on the tollway and I'm going, Quickly down the tollway, we'll leave it as that and just moving, getting undoing my 11 miles. We at a normal pace. that's going to cost you an extra 20 minutes. We're being generous. And, uh, and so we end up we end up making it on time. That was amazing. And uh, so I'm able to, <coughs> to get there and on the way back, I'm like, how did I do this? I've got a reasonable IQ, I know how to drive, I knew the directions, I knew everything. How did I miss this? And on the way back, I realized that my son goes to Bible school a few more miles down the road. And we're normal, we often stay with my sister and in her area. And it was not remotely odd for me to pass the Galleria. Well, By the time I saw the Galleria, things were already off the rails. I was already late, missing it, and I just kept going. And every little thing that I saw, it was confirming I'm on the right road. I'm doing good. This is awesome. Until I hit the stoplight, and then and we just all it just totally missed it. And my context set me up, and I just interpreted it completely wrong. And I felt great about being wrong until it dawned on me that I missed it by eleven miles. John 3.17, we need to set this up and understand and interpret everything with Jesus through this. John 3.17 is, of course, the verse right after John 3.16, which ought to be as equally well known. It says, John 3.17 tells us, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He did not send his Son to condemn the world, but to save us. The truth is we were already condemned. And I scratch my head all the time on why his followers love to condemn the world when that was obviously out of Jesus' own mouth. That wasn't his assignment was to condemn the world. Why are we so quick to be so hateful and to, and to, and to dispense all sorts of judgment when Jesus came not to condemn the world but to save it? That the truth is, is that he was going to give himself as a sacrifice to right all the wrongs. We have to understand Jesus is not the answer to God's ultimate don't make me come down there. I see y'all y'all are messing up. Don't make me come down there. <sighs> I'm going to have to come down there. And then here comes Jesus. That is not what this Jesus is about. Jesus came because we were hopeless. We needed a savior. We needed a, somebody to come in and step in. So since that was his assignment, that is what Jesus is about, and he says that clearly in John 3, 16 and 17. Then let's look at John 6. Your notes are going to pick up. The screen's going to pick up in verse 51, but I decided this morning I wanted to back up just a little bit and put in a little more context. It says, <clears throat> verse 47, if you're in a paper Bible, you can do this easily. So just back up a little bit. Verse 47 says, Very truly I tell you, the one who believes... Has eternal life. Boom. There it is. He's, he's laid it out. The one who believes in him has eternal life. The one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Okay, that is a metaphor. Okay? We all roll with it. None of you immediately had this beautiful picture of this beautiful barley loaf with this Jesus hair. <laughs> and a little robe on. And I and like this this little loaf hopping across the sea, walking on the water. No, we didn't do that. Why do we not do that? We know it's a metaphor. We're not dumb. We can get this. We know it's a metaphor. I'm the bread of life. How does bread give life? We eat it. It gets on the inside, and it breaks down, and it does all its cool stuff I can't explain, and it ends up in ourselves, and it cells, and it and it gives us life. But it does it from the inside out. I have never seen anybody go, I am so hungry. I'm so hungry, man. I need some bread to get in and start going, oh, yes. Oh, yeah, I get this bread. we will stick it on my head. Yes. I feel so much better. No, we understand it's got to get on the inside. It's the only place it does its work is on the inside. That's the bread of life. Your ancestors, he says in verse 49, your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and yet they died. Now you may skip, not understand this if you, if you don't understand the, what he's talking about. Remember Jesus talking to an Israelite, a Jewish audience. Manna was this bread that was brought down during the period of their wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. Okay, after they'd come out of Egypt. So, this daily this manna would come down, this little fine ground up ish looking coriander seed like stuff that tasted of wafers and honey. It was really, really yummy stuff. And uh, that's why I have a sweet tooth, because I like manna. And um, it's, it's scriptural. And so, uh, eat, des- <laughs> eat dessert first, it's scriptural. And so, uh, anyways, but they would eat this manna and it would bring down, it would come down from heaven daily. And it would give them nourishment daily. And this was part of this miraculous. It wasn't just once or twice. It was every day for 40 years. And they did this. And this was part of their identity. And when he said this, they knew what they were talk, what he was talking about. And then in verse 50, it says, But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. Obviously, he's talking in metaphor. He's been talking in metaphor the whole time. Okay? Now we're going to pick up in verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Okay, He's been talking about metaphor the whole time. Everybody's rolled with him the whole time. And then he says, whoever eats this bread will live forever. Which he's talking about letting me impact the inside. Not just some outside. There's going to be a shift. Let me impact the inside. He says, This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He's talking about that he the sacrifice that he was gonna make. And then all of a sudden, they get so upset. He's been talking in metaphor the whole time. He says, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves: how can this man give us his flesh to eat? That's not, he wasn't talking about, come over here and tuck a bite out of my shoulder, you'll live forever. Come on, got some good thigh meat over here, and you live forever. That's not what he's. That was not what he was talking about. But these people who were looking to find some place to wrangle and to be upset with Jesus immediately to, because he has made himself to have been brought down and be presented by heaven itself, and they're just they're just so mad. It says and the Jews began to argue sharply with <coughs> with themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? See, the truth is, it was outrageous that Jesus said that we're to eat his flesh and to drink his blood. Because we weren't supposed to eat. He he didn't tell us, if you're going to follow me, be a cannibal. That is not what he's saying. That is not what he's saying. But these people went off the rails with it. And he had been talking in metaphor the whole time. And I honestly, I think Jesus kind of started being, he's presenting the truth, but I think he's being just a little snarky. I think it's funny. I think he's going, seriously? Seriously? you are going to like take this like straight up literally like I, you think i'm telling you to come over here and bite my arm all right i'm I'm going to keep rolling with this and i'm going to i'm just come on let's let's have some fun with this he just keeps moving forward with it jesus was letting them know that he was going to bring life Like food and drink brings life from the inside out. In fact, in Matthew 3.25, he talks to this same group of people and says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You're so worried about the outside. And you don't give a rip about what's inside. I'm not going to be so hung up about the outside if you'll just get me access to the inside. That was what he was about and they just couldn't get it. So he says to them in verse 53, and Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the bread, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. You're having a problem with this? I want to say, this is straight up. If you don't let me and what I'm going to do impact the inside of you, you will have no life in you. He just keeps pressing it. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. And he just keeps pressing it. it. You think I'm being literal here? Well, guess what? My flesh is literally going to bring life. My blood is literally going to bring life, and they're totally missing it. Just as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father, <clears throat> because of the Father, and so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. See, in saying this outrageous thing, Jesus outrageously said that he is the source of eternal life. They were pretty convinced that they had this eternal life thing down. They were pretty convinced that they had it figured out. We abide by these 630 plus laws. We do all of the necessary sacrifices and all that stuff when it needs to be done. We hopefully keep God kind of happy with us. And then all's cool. I have eternal life. And he comes in and totally jacks with all that and says, I'm the source. I'm the source of eternal life. Jesus said this while teaching in the synagogues in Capernaum. And on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who who can accept it? Aware of what his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? See, the next part, after he was, he was talking about what he was about to do, which was about to give himself. He was about to go to the cross. He was about to give himself as a sacrifice. And he was about to change the, change the whole dynamic of interacting with God. And he says, this offends you? What if you see me go up into heaven? What if you see me ascend to the Father and go back to where I was? You're going to have a problem with that one too? It says, the spirit gives life. He finally brings it all in. The spirit brings life and the flesh counts for nothing. I'm not talking about something that's temporal. I'm not talking about a meal you can eat. I'm not talking about something that's flesh and blood that you can grab a hold of. I'm talking about the spirit. I'm talking about what's happening on the inside of you. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life the words i'm talking to you they're spirit words why are you trying to be so goofy and literal about this are you understand what i'm talking about i'm pointing to the fact that i'm going to give myself as a sacrifice my blood is going to be poured out it's going to be actually be able to re- reconnect you with the father verse 66 says that the time of from this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him they just couldn't deal with it. They just couldn't wrap their minds around it. Now a lot of times we go, "Man, I wish that I could I wish I could have a time machine and I could go back and I could hear Jesus's teachings for myself." These guys were there. They had followed Jesus for a period of time. They followed him for a little while. And then as they as they went, he, they get to this point and they're finally they punch out. They say, I can't handle this. I can't take this. And they don't follow him. And then Jesus says, you do, not want, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve, and Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. You have the words of life. You're the one that's done the miracles. You're the one that's, that's brought the, the teachings to life. Yeah, we're having a hard time wrapping our mind around this last thing, but where else are we going to go? There wasn't any real resolve. They didn't say, we get it. They just say, where are we going to go? We're we're just going to kind of shelve this one and hope one day it makes sense because we don't get the whole eat your flesh, Jesus. But we're just going to go with you anyways. Well, the explanation eventually came. But the problem is, is, is that you have the first of saying, you know, eat my flesh and drink my blood. That was crazy. Now you're saying you came down from heaven and you're the source of eternal life. Oh man, this just take it to crazy times too. And now finally he has his disciples in his quiet moment, and he's going to explain this to him. And the explanation of this was even more outrageous than the initial claim. See, re- Jesus was redefining how to be made right with God. Now, for you to get this, for you to understand this context, okay, we're gonna have to. We're gonna. I'm gonna have to set some stuff up. First off, we understand that we're, they're celebrating Passover. Okay, they've already celebrated Passover together with his disciples a few times. He would, His ministry was about three and a half years long, so they had already celebrated Passover a few times. It comes. Every year. You know, does anybody hate it that Easter's a moving target? Some of you are going to forever think that Easter's the first Sunday of April because of today. But it's not. It moves around. Last year is April 20th. It moves around. I always have to look it up every year. When's e- Easter? You know why it moves around? It's because Passover moves around. That's why it moves around. Because we celebrate it at Passover time. Not on a calendar, but it was connected with Passover. Passover and Jesus being the fulfillment. Passover is a big deal. That's why our that's why us uh, celebrating this moves around. It's because it's tied to Passover. Well, Passover is this meal that was the the most important celebration for the Jewish people. If you're not familiar with what Passover was, was they had had a meal and they're getting ready to come out of Egypt. Moses had brought all these different plagues, had the confrontation with the Pharaoh. They're Finally, this is a done deal. Moses tells the people, get all your stuff ready. Things are about to happen super quick. It's been 430 years in the making, but it's about to happen now. So don't put any leaven in your bread. You're not going to have time for it to rise. Bake your stuff. S- slaughter this lamb. Take the lamb's blood... Pretty gross. Stick it on the outside of your house. You're leaving anyways, it don't matter. You just stick it on the outside. And so, they stick it on the outside of their house there in Egypt. And when the, the, the death angel was going to come across the land and bring in judgment upon the Egyptian people, then those then the households that didn't have that were going to be passed over. They didn't have the judgment come into their home and that there was no death and mayhem and, and, and pain there. And so they have this meal, they eat that, eat the eat the bread, and the blood is applied to the post. Well, the Passover, celebrating the Passover, was a remembrance of this moment where this entire million plus people come out of Egypt and are led out. And this was the breakover moment for them, and they remember this. This is their biggest, biggest celebration as a group of people and as a nation. Okay? Understand that. Okay? Now understand. Before we get into the rest of it, let's put some some personal context. Okay, anybody love Christmas? Woo! How many are happy? It's still a few months away. Yes, but I love Christmas. Clark family, we love Christmas. We love Christmas time. We have a ton of kids. It's just a blast. We enjoy enjoy all of it. Just celebrating our Savior's birth. The Christmas seems to be the more approachable holiday for believers. You know, you got the whole Ricky Bobby baby Jesus. Isn't scary. You know, Jesus dying. That's scary. So Easter's a little more a little more uh, intimidating. But Christmas is we celebrate baby Jesus, and and he's come to us, and that's exciting. And there's nothing scary about it. And so. We we celebrate Christmas. It's a big deal. It's a big deal to us in our celebration that, that, that God came from heaven. In fact, tying this in is Bethlehem means house of bread. So as Jesus is tying in all these other things, it's just all through his life. It's just all connected. Anyway, so so as he is, um, as Passover is being celebrated, we have to put this in context, okay? Let's take, if you're a Protestant and you've been raised up and as a Protestant, let's take one of our Protestant modern-day heroes. And, and most people really love and respect Billy Graham. Okay? He's preached to millions and millions and millions of people and ha- has, been, has been able to have the ear of presidents and world leaders and has stood for the truth and ha- has just done some really neat things. And let's say Billy Graham gets to the end of his life, which is getting pretty close, and uh, he's getting up there and... Let's say that he makes one last declaration to, to everybody who has followed his teachings and, and he has led. and He says, you know what? He says, due to the fact that my ministry has impacted the whole globe, and I've reached, there's not a continent that I haven't preached on, and there's not a language one of my sermons hasn't been interpreted into, and I've had this worldwide impact, then after I'm gone, then every time you celebrate Christmas then I want you to celebrate my birth. It's a little quiet in here, huh? Just get your blood boiling a little bit, doesn't it? Uh, Billy Graham didn't say that. Don't get mad at Billy Graham. This This is a for instance. He didn't say that. Or whoever is your favorite person that you see a worldwide ministry. Whoever they, and they do that. And they take something we celebrate and we connect as part of our holy worship our big moment together, and say, this is about me now. Maybe you grew up Catholic, and man, who doesn't love Pope Francis? You know, Pope Francis is is, uh, is a beloved Pope, and let's say that Pope Francis gets to the end of his ministry, and... He begins and speaks out to the, to the Catholic world and says, you know what, due to the fact that I've done a lot of good things and, and I've been, had a worldwide impact and all these things, when, when Easter, when Resurrection Sunday comes around, then what I want you to do is I've, I've died in faith and I, have, I'm a, I am standing in the presence of God even at that moment because of my faith in Christ. And at Easter, I want you to celebrate my ministry, my death, and the fact that I'm in the presence of God at that moment. And that's what I want Easter to now be about. That would just drive we're like, you've gone off the rails. Something has gone crazy with you. You can't take Easter and make it about you. You can't take Christmas and make it about you. See, we're not Jewish, most of us. We don't get this Passover thing. Let's now jump into Luke 22 when he explains this thing about eating his, eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Luke 22, verse 13. says, And they left, and they found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. They're just chilling. They're just enjoying it. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Something's different about this Passover. They've done all the other Passovers the normal way. This is going to be a different Passover before I suffer. They still weren't getting it. They still weren't getting what Jesus was, what was about to happen to Jesus. He says, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Oh man, they're pumped. This is the last Passover that we're going to have to eat under Roman rule. Our Messiah is here. He's going to throw off the chains. We're about to be a sovereign nation again. This is the last time we have to do this until the kingdom is reestablished. And man, they're fist bumping and chest bumping and grunting and doing all sorts of guy stuff. And they're pumped. They're excited about what Jesus just said. He just said, this is the last one. I'm not going to do this again until it's in the kingdom. Their brains are just, yes, it's awesome. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Yes, I knew it. He said it again. Ah, we've been looking for this. We had the great entry last week and everybody was throwing down the palm branches and the the king of David. It was yes. Here it comes. We're so excited. And he took bread. And he gave thanks and he broke it. Because that's what you do at Passover. And he gave it to them. Yes, give me some bread. Jesus, Passover. This is awesome. This is my body. Given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Huh? What? This is, this is your body? Uh, 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 woo! Did you get in the wine early? <laughs> Moses taught us to do this. It's, it's Passover, Jesus. We came out of Egypt. Your daddy passed over because of the blood. You, it's cool. You can start over. We'll, we'll, we'll act like you didn't say that. This... This is my body. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. What? This is Passover. It's pretty amazing that when Jesus talked about his body is real, his flesh is real food and his blood is real drink, that, th- that the rest of the guys didn't bounce with the other crew. It's pretty amazing that they're like, I don't really get this, but we're going to stay because the whole Lazarus thing has us amazed. <laughs> and so we're just, we're just staying. <laughs> but we don't get that. You're, for, you're forgiven. But then he gets to the explanation of it and the fact that they didn't all stand up and march out of there and let him redefine Passover had the same impact, honestly more, because it was their it was their personal heritage. It wasn't just their religion. This is their family, their family story. And he's just redefined it. He's just completely redefined it and said this is what it's been about the whole time. See John the Baptist at the beginning of Jesus' ministry who was the forerunner points to Jesus and says the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world and everybody in earshot knew exactly what that meant. Nobody went to go and check for fluff and curly ear here and they knew what it meant. It was a metaphor. They knew that who, that what that meant. That every year at Passover, there was a lamb that was slain to take care of the wrath of God for a year so we could kind of skate along. And he was now not going to do it for a nation, but for the entire world. And here at the bookends of his ministry, the lamb of God to take away the sin of the world, and then he takes Passover. He says, this has been about me and to point to me the whole time. And when you do this, Every time you celebrate Passover, you do it and you remember. You remember me. He's asking them to remember something that hadn't even happened yet. He hadn't even poured out his, given his body as as a sacrifice. That would happen the next day. He hadn't even done it yet. That happened the next day. He hadn't poured out his blood. That happened the next day. They're totally confused. And they just roll with him. See the truth is, as Jesus came to start a new covenant. This something brand new. This isn't about trying to fit Jesus into all of our religious systems, where we show up at a holy place and we do some holy things, and some holy man says holy things over us, and we go out okay. This that's the old system. The new system just says, is I'm going to pour it out, and it's going to be done, and it's going to be finished, and you're going to be right with God once and for all, and it's done. There's a new covenant. It's not a revision to the old covenant. It's a different covenant. It's a new covenant that he's poured out, and today we celebrate that he is the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world, that because of his flesh being broken and his blood poured out, we're made right with God. In this moment, we want to not go any further until everybody has the opportunity to say that's mine if you want it that's all it takes to say I believe it that's it so if we can create a quiet moment together if that's you and you're here today and you say Brandon I'm just now understanding I'm just getting what this Jesus thing is about that he died for me that he paid the price for me and I believe it and if that's you and you believe that, and salvation is yours, I want you to just raise your hand and just, just say, that's mine. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Believers, I want you to lift your voices, and I w- we're going to pray together right now, but before we do this, I want to tell you, you're heaven ready right now, okay? It's not because we're about to pray a prayer. So You believe in your heart, and it's what's done. You place your faith in it, it's done. And I'm going to have the privilege of praying with you (coughs) together. And we're going to pray. Believers, lift your voices with these. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that his death covered my death. My sins are forgiven based on what Jesus did. I'm a new creation. (coughs) My faith is placed in Jesus. You're going to change me from the inside out. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Well, now, if anybody still needs a communion cup, we're about to enjoy the Lord's Supper together. And if you didn't already have one of these and you just prayed that prayer, get one. If you do have one, then let's do this. I want you to just pull the little cellophane layer back. Because our time of communion is to remember that this is not about what we can do for God, but about what Jesus did for us. We're just going to go right through 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just peel the little sun and take this that represents the body of Christ. And then the foil reveals that represents the blood. Paul writes to the Corinthian church. says, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the body that was broken. We thank you, Lord, for Friday that took place. And that we look back and we call that that gruesome scene good because you meant good for us. That because his body was beaten and was and his flesh was ripped, and his blood was poured out, Lord, that our sins were forgiven, because we understand there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood, and Jesus' perfect blood was shed, and that our sins are taken care of. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that body that was placed in that tomb, and it did its time in the grave, and we don't have to fear the grave, Heavenly Father. We thank you that body came out of the tomb, Lord, and we celebrate the resurrection, and the promise of resurrection for us, Heavenly Father. And Lord, and that we look forward, and we <coughs> are in Embracing eternal life now, Heavenly Father. And we'll get to shed this body one day and have it in full. And Lord, and we are thankful for that. And we place our faith in that Jesus' body provided that for us. Amen. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this, is, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for this blood that provides complete, total remission of our sins. Lord, that we stand right with you heaven ready not based on anything we've done but based on what jesus did and we remember that right now lord we are thankful for that and we celebrate that in this moment in jesus name amen amen awesome well i'd ask you to just stand up we're going to go out of here and i want to pray over you thank you for coming and being a part Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that this day, Lord, everything changed. Lord, we thank you that that the true message of the resurrection would be what would propel us forward. Lord, that we are right with you and we're not in some struggle to make you happy. Lord, but while we were still away from you, you died for us, Lord. And that you have made us your children. Lord, and you are the one changing us from the inside out. And we're so grateful for that. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Have a beautiful Sunday afternoon. Christ is risen.